0: Good afternoon and welcome to this your debate supported by GIGA Europe on the green ICT, how can the digital sector accelerate the green transition? I'm Brian McGuire. I'll be with you for this program today. You can follow the discussion at hashtag EA Debates, uh, our social media team will interact with you there, so please use uh, the hashtag for your comments, and they'll bring some of those too. And you can use the Slido on the right of your screen uh, to send us questions and comments, and uh, we'll bring those throughout the course of the program, not just at the end, so you can send them now, and uh, the sooner you do, the sooner we can put those uh, to our excellent uh, panel today According to the March uh, BEREC draft report on sustainability in the connectivity sector, the digital sector's impact is 2 to 4% compared to other industries. Some industry stakeholders within the connectivity sector are not content with these statistics and have announced their own voluntary commitments to meeting ambitious goals by joining the European Green and Digital Coalition. Companies in the connectivity sector claim they want to make responsible and sustainable investments. For them, one of the key challenges will be to balance their role as enablers of green and digital transformations with the operational resources required to implement their own sustainability efforts. While several of the EU's Green Deal and Digital Decade 2030 uh, targets require upgraded infrastructure and increased private investment, connectivity operators within this consistently evolving sector must contend with increased demand. They want to see predictable and harmonized regulations to facilitate sustainable and responsible investments, which ultimately uh, benefit consumers. In this debate, we'll discuss how, through collective action and multi-stakeholder approaches, uh, Europe can enable a green and digital transition that works. For all. Now joining us today, we have a really uh, stellar panel starting uh, with uh, Daniel Mess, a member of the cabinet of uh, Franz Timmermans, uh, the Executive Vice President of the European Green Deal, the European Commission, Elias Yakovides, uh, Advisor for Digital Aspects of Green uh, Transformation, DG Connect, the European Commission, uh, David Cormant, uh, a member of the European Parliament and member of the IMCO Committee, rapporteur on Towards a More Sustainable Single Market for Business and Consumers. Uh, Ivan Stefanich, a uh, member of the INCO committee uh, and shadow rapporteur on 2030 policy program, Path to the Digital Decade. Uh, Amri Sipkis, uh, chair of BEREC, was also with us, and Veronica uh, Wilms, uh, secretary-general of SME uh, United, and Molly Bruce, uh, vice-president of corporate responsibility and ESG communications at uh, Liberty Global. Great to have all of you with us today. Uh, good to see we made uh, some progress towards gender equality on the panel also today. And I'm uh, going to give each of you 60 seconds or so, uh, just to kick off with your your headline message, then we'll start the conversation, and uh, I encourage your audience again, send in your questions on the Slido, and we'll bring those to the panel. Daniel, kick off with you, 60 seconds.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, and uh, this is a very timely uh, topic, I think, because in the current energy situation that we're in, extraordinary, there's no other choice, we believe ICT must go green. And with that, I mean a few things. ICT must really help us to actually make the smartest use of the energy that we can, especially now. Of course, it needs to happen in a fair way that everybody has access uh, to that. And it also needs to work indeed on its uh, footprint itself. So go green uh, itself. <clears throat> on the energy grid, uh, we uh, have massive new ambitions to ramp up uh, renewable production. And if you don't want to put wind parks and solar panels everywhere, you need to make the smartest use of the space that you have. And that really involves digital uh, uh, technology helping us to make the grid smart and also the consumer. Uh, giving them smart metering and smart charging solutions. So to just to give a few example, this cannot only be about the, caper, the, the the cables and the copper, the gigabits and the digits also must uh, come in. And we are extremely serious about that. We will take, I think, the, the decisive action is needed to to enable that. And later this year, we'll come with an action plan. It need, needs to happen in a fair way, uh, so that also from the countryside to the cities, from SME to big companies, from richer to poorer households, everybody has access. But I want to add one uh, element of fairness to this debate, and that is fair access to the energy and fair access to the energy grid. And there we really have to have a serious conversation about the footprint of digital technology itself. If you look at uh, the Netherlands, uh, there have been uh, quite some uh, uh, discussions on uh, the place of data centers, uh, hyperscale data centers uh, on the grid. The result uh, of the energy uh, capacity that it needed was that households and businesses needed to be put in the queue to get connected to the energy grid itself and the revolt in one uh, town uh, Zewolde became so big that the trade center was put on hold and that is now really becoming especially in this energy situation quite a serious discussion uh, to have uh, given the fact that by 2030 uh, uh, the, 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 the ICT systems will take a 20% almost 20% of our electricity it's calculated or uh, um, will be the top three buy of renewables and we need to spread that energy in a fair uh, manner there's no need to panic Uh, that's my message also because i don't want to sound too dark here there's no need to panic there's just a need to plan because we have solutions we believe you can have data centers integrated into the energy system and use the excess heat to uh, warm up households you can indeed have uh, solid measurements of the uh, of the impact of digitization on uh, on the environment and our citizens so that you can take informed uh, decisions pereg also on the panel has also seen uh, the issue so there's a lot uh, to work with but that's my main message today that we now really need both sides of the coin no EU green deal without digital, but uh, digital, now really, especially now in this situation, must really go green itself.
0: Thank, Thank you, you, Daniel. Excellent. I wasn't going to panic, but now that you mention it, um, I may just do that. Elias, over to you. 60 seconds. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Good afternoon. So, digital transition and green transition are the two priorities of this commission. And Daniel just explained, and he's the a representative of the green transition. The digital transition can have a conflict with that green transition and that conflict we have already identified and we are working on it and that means making the data centers climate neutral making the telecoms greener and we will talk more about that and making the devices more circular i'm sure david will talk about the problem of the material efficiency in the digital sector what li- what i would like to highlight is how do we manage synergies of those two it's not obvious that di- digitalizing energy system or agriculture will give you sustainability benefits. There is a very specific band and conditions under which you have triple win, economic, social, environmental. Those framework conditions to make sure that we have a sustainability benefits have to be developed and have to be measurable and have to be guiding both governments, policy making and financial institutions. This is what the Green Digital Coalition is about. And if I had to select two sectors of top priority, how to digitize energy sectors so we can get more renewables in first. Second, how to make a transition to circular economy is where digital can really show the power of decoupling our economy from ever increasing use of natural resources. That is the power of digital that we have to tap into, making sure that we minimize the rebound effect. Thank you, Lewis. Um, David, over
0: to you, 30, 60
3: seconds. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. Thank you for your invitation this meeting. You hear my English is very bad because I'm French. And in France, when we go to school, nobody learn us uh, other language. We're, in school, we just learn, uh, everybody in the world speaks French. But when we become adults, we realize it's not the case. Sorry for that. Thank you for this meeting because uh, I think I don't want to panic, Daniel. But uh, like uh, Greta Thunberg, I think we need to panic a little bit, because for the moment, uh, the transition, the ecological transition, and the uh, uh, the, ECT, the the digital transition, is presenting by the committee by the European Union like the same things. But in fact, it not the same things. The ecological transition. Is uh, it, it's a vital necessity. Uh, digital transition is a tool. it is the first things. Second things, for the moment, we don't make uh, serious today about the impact of the numeric, uh, about uh, energy, but uh, uh, like like uh, uh, Elias just said, uh, the impact of material uh, of the of the digital revolution. For the moment, this revolution is a catastrophe, ecological catastrophe, because all the the objects connected uh, need a lot, a lot, a lot of things to uh, build it. And for the moment, we haven't got uh, standards to uh, have uh, circular economy with that, eco-design with that. And uh, I'll try in English today to talking about that with uh, you, because it's... uh, Major moment for the European Union. It is the moment, the momentum now to decide which digital revolution we want. If we make a revolution, a digital revolution like uh, uh, is it the situation now, digital will not be a solution for the planet. It will be the contrary. It's necessary to make a good uh, legislation in the European Union to make a well, durable, sustainable uh, digital revolution.
0: thank you very much, David. Even over to you, 60 seconds.
4: Thank you very much, Brian, and good afternoon, everybody. From my point of view, really digital and uh, green transitions, they complement each other and they are very much dependent on each other. So digital transition is not possible to be achieved without uh, green transition and, and vice versa. I think what is very important to find a way how to get there and uh, we have uh, approved recently in the european parliament a report which is called path to the digital decade and uh, we described uh, for upcoming eight years goals in four main areas so we are talking about reeducation, about uh, infrastructure about e-government for citizens and also what is very important how to support business uh, environment so all goals uh, should be set in line with Green Deal goals and uh, SME stress tests should guarantee that the national plans uh, will be friendly also for small businesses. We shouldn't forget the fact that most jobs are created by small businesses. I have to say that European Parliament is even more ambitious than the European Commission. For example, regarding uh, some objectives, uh, we improved not uh, 80%, but we put even 100% of citizens, uh, they should use uh, I- electronic ID by 2030 and uh, etc. So also we extended support for unicorns via European Digital Innovation Hubs and we added a new goal by 2030 uh, that union uh, should be competitive and uh, uh, sustainable data cloud uh, infrastructure should be put in place with high security and privacy standards and uh, should be compliant with unions data protection rules so uh, all goals i think are very very important in our digital transition and there is a a lot of challenges for coming years which uh, are necessarily discussed not only today thank you very much thank you even amory 60 seconds
5: thank you brian and uh, thank you for already mentioning the report that we at BEREC have uh, have prepared i think um we, have, uh, we also see that digital is a very important or crucial enabler for the green, uh, green t- transition, but the digital sector itself should also contribute to being uh, as green as possible. And we have started the work uh, that landed into the report you just mentioned, asking ourselves what we as regulators can do. So what do we conclude? We concluded that the most important thing is to have a ho- holistic data-driven approach. So what does that actually mean? Data-driven means we see that there is a lack of consistent, comparable data on what green actually is. And this is vital to make sure that all the stakeholders take the right decisions. Investors, that were already mentioned, market players that want to be accountable, public authorities such as regulators that have to make a choice. Are we going to stimulate this technology or rather another? Are we going down this avenue or rather another? And the final group of stakeholders and users. This is not just about data centers. It is not just about networks. It is also about devices. It's all three of them. And making sure you have the right right data to enable people and stakeholders to take the right decisions um, is vital. And to achieve such a set of consistent data and consistent methodology to measure exactly where we are and where we want to be, you have to have a holistic approach, setting everyone around the table. So that is our next step as BEREC. Making sure that everyone is around the table and trying to get our heads around the better data to make sure that we can decide uh, upon the right actions in every single market that we regulate.
0: Emery, thank you so much. Veronique, uh, 60 seconds.
6: Thank you. Thank you for uh, the invitation as well. Well, I would like to say that uh, there will no, be, will not be a transition either digital or green without SMEs. That has been echoed in recent weeks, also by. OECD and the Lisbon Council, for instance, I also appreciate that in the BEREC report, there is a referral to uh, predictable and harmonized regulations to um, facilitate investment. That's one of the first questions that our SMEs will also put forward. Create clear and stable objectives and rules so that they know which investments to make now to get to where they have to get, for instance, by 2030. A second point is ensuring investment capacity. Uh, Many SMEs have uh, a negative impact from the COVID pandemic on their investment capacity, so uh, we need to take that into account. Apart from that, we also have to ensure the necessary skills development and as also referred to already by by several speakers, uh, the technology uh, development. And for that, I believe that DigiGrow along with Digital SME Alliance has launched a call in the past few days uh, concerning green ICT solutions from SMEs to make the transition on the green and the digital side. So that's uh, also something we are carefully monitoring. I look forward to further discussing uh,
7: the other topics with you.
0: Veronique, thank you. Molly, over to you, 60 seconds.
7: Thank you, Brian, and good afternoon, everyone. Coming from the perspective of a fixed and mobile connectivity provider, We see opportunity and responsibility in our role as both major operators in our markets, as well as enablers by the connectivity services we provide. Liberty Global's operations deliver a total of 85 million connections across the UK and Europe today. And as a business, we want to create impact without doing harm. We've committed to net-zero targets across Scopes 1 and 2 by 2030, and we are working to substantiate our Scope 3 plans. We're focused on renewable energy, reducing e-waste, and creating circularity for our products. Now, as an enabler, we see connectivity as being inherently critical to a net-zero future by allowing other sectors to be more resource and energy efficient as well as supporting sustainable innovations. And this means that we invest substantially in the technologies such as fiber and 5G that enable more energy efficient use. And we invest to build ubiquitous networks so that digital innovations um, have the scaled access that they require. So as we look at Europe's green transition, we see it requiring three things policy that stimulates technology agnostic investment and innovation, standardization, as I think was mentioned, of how we measure ESG targets, so what good looks like, and broad engagement across public and private sectors on a shared path toward common goals.
0: Thank you, Molly. Uh, Thank you for for each of those, It's concise. And uh, let's go, I like what Ilias pointed out in terms of economic, social, environmental, uh, wins and how we get uh, how we get the guiding principles for sustainability benefit out of that as well. Elias, let's go building this a little bit more as well. You know, what are the guiding principles? What are the the metrics that need to be uh, taken into, into consideration if we're going to achieve these synergies that you you mentioned?
2: Right at the moment, the way we measure is very much top-down theoretical analysis, averages, what we imagine a good look. You know, good. Uh, results or the good outcomes of digitalization are. We need to start measuring the real-life pilots and real-life deployments. And that's what we set out to do with the Green Digital Coalition to cross-fertilize this kind of theoretical models of estimating the potential of digitalization to actually getting to measuring the real effects and learning from it, where are we doing harm without even planning for it? Every, every digital solution has to be designed with the sustainability in place, so we can kind of plan on the known unknowns. But there are many unknown unknowns that we are in reality facing when we're doing precision farming pilots, or when we do connected mobility, or when we do smart cities. That need to be that we need to learn. We need to really get the data and start building it in the design and usage and guidance how to use these solutions to get to, to stay in this narrow band of triple-wind. And those bands, are the boundaries are not very uh, obvious. They are very tricky. And that's what we're trying to do, to actually see how we can, with the real data, identify them to the end users. It can be mayors, it can be individual citizens, what actually it means to use this digital device for triple-wind but it can be mainly also financial institutions because major percentage of all the finances will go for sustainability. At the moment, digitalization is not on the menu of sustainable finance. We just got the first breakthrough with EU taxonomy, but the conditions are still very obscure. It's not robust and easy to understand conditions for financial institutions to use and to be guided to finance uh, sustainability.
0: Thank you. This triple win, Daniel. You know, you said the ICT will account for twenty percent of electricity as well. Of itself, that sounds. Pretty terrible, but actually the benefits uh, of using ICT correctly could outstrip uh, that that figure in its own right as well. So if we manage smart grids more effectively, or our you know the homes are heated more efficiently, you know, our cars are driven uh, more competently as well. So you know, where are we in terms of understanding where this uh, synergy trade-off is, and you know, can we measure uh, well enough yet, or, or are we still some way off? Where Elias has mentioned uh, the, the the real-life deployment and measurements. Where do you see the picture right now? Are we going the right direction and ICT can manage this? Daniel?
1: Yeah, no, I think that the work that Ilias and his colleagues are doing uh, on, on these measurements is extremely important. Uh, it, it really is because this is sort of the ingredient that you need to make sure that people uh, uh, don't panic and that, that I hopefully will be right, that if we plan right we don't have to. So uh, these, these measurements are uh, the key. And uh, some of them are better developed than others. So, so what Ilias is doing is extremely important, and for us, it will actually help us to shape the political decisions that you that you need to take. And for that, you need to know uh, what is what is really uh, what is what is really happening. Uh, and at the different levels, because indeed, as also uh, Birek pointed out, you have the the infrastructure, and you have the devices and the materials that are in there. We also have made proposals already on that that those devices become. Uh, more energy efficient, but in order to choose the right mix of political decisions, you need you need these these data. So for me, we are in, on on different uh, parts of the chain in, in on in different stages. So uh, as a whole, I think that 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 our vision at the European Commission, at least, where we're gravitating towards, is that if you have this solid and robust EU framework in place that you can that you can measure, you can actually take decisions, and that decision doesn't have to be don't roll out the technology. But I'm also saying to the uh, operators here on the call, it becomes a problem for the wallet of your technology if this is left in the, left in the cloud, so to say, uh, the, the, the footprint. Because you see that in the, uh, in the Netherlands. I think it's good that the accountability helps in order for also for the, for the wallet of the, tech, uh, of the technology so that, you, so that you don't have to decide that you stop that, but that you can take another type of decision. And I always use the, the, the example of, of mobility as a, as, as a service. Uh, which is sort of this app that you can use and then choose a bike or a car or public transport uh, uh, to move around. Lots of people always say, "Well, we don't want that." To make sure that uh, that 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 actually more people go into shared cars on the public transport, you can look at these measurements and then you can, uh, as a city, if if you believe that something is really happening, you can take an informed decision and say, "Listen, I want public transport to be more of a backbone." So you can sort of take a political decision to to mitigate uh, uh, some of these uh, effects. So that's why it's really important. And uh, we have to see if the EU level comes in. And then we have these parts of the chain where we already know that there are massive challenges. And that is on uh, uh, infrastructure like uh, like data centers. That's why we've made uh, proposals uh, already uh, in our energy efficiency directive to, to tackle this, uh, given the energy use that I just outlined. Um, and I think that also in our action plan we need to follow up with. Uh, I really believe we need an energy label also for data centers because okay. the data also really helps all the people to make the right uh, choices. And um, on the devices, uh, other people have come in on that already. Uh, we are uh, really on that uh, on that ball too.
0: Thank you. Veronique, in terms of SMEs, uh, do you feel SMEs are sufficiently embedded in this process as well? You, you need uh, dependability, you need predictability, you need some foresight as, as to how uh, SMEs can, can plan ahead and they don't have this capacity that large-scale businesses do in terms of uh, investment or, or uh, you know, changing a path of direction within a reasonable time as well. Um, you know, and yet, for more than 90% of the European economy and in terms of SMEs. So, are SMEs embedded in this decision making process or are they, are they participating well enough uh, for your liking?
6: Well, I think that uh, we are doing uh, the best we can at the moment, but we have been echoing uh, in the past few months that uh, there needs to be a stable framework. Um, the, 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 for instance, the targets towards 2030 have to be clear now if you want to make uh, investments to reach those targets, targets by 2030. And I don't think that's uh, an issue specifically for SMEs. I think that even big companies uh, face a challenge there because you have a certain investment timeframe. If you invest now, that will have an impact on the, on the targets you can, you can reach by 2030. And that also has an impact on your further investment capacity in the next few years. You have to make depreciation on those investments as well. So that's a, a first element that I think uh, hasn't been taken into account sufficiently also in the, in the policy uh, process. Uh, a second element, and, and I do agree that uh, there needs to be measurement uh, you need to measure and you need to have figures to know where you are going. On the other hand, uh, a big concern we have at the moment with all the different reporting um, proposals that are ongoing, you have the CSRD taxonomy has been mentioned, uh, sustainable finance in general. Those are all additional reporting requirements that will ask a lot of uh, time investment and, and, and development, especially from small and medium sized companies. Um, and that's the fear that we have that at the moment, they might invest more in, in, the, in the reporting than really actual, actually making a change on the ground. So those elements for us are quite, quite important to see how to move forward. Um, and then in general, uh, I believe that it was OECD who also uh, clearly indicated that investments at the moment from, from member states from OECD um, uh, target around 3% uh, of SMEs and the rest of the, of the support measures are more invested into, for instance, public authorities and, and bigger companies. So I think there the awareness also needs to, to, cre- to be created and, and raised more. Um, than we have already been able to do, that uh, if you want to make this transition and if you want to really make a change uh, in reality, in real life, that you will will have to make a bigger investment and a bigger uh, support for small and medium-sized enterprises.
0: Okay, thank you, Veronica. David, you know the digital revolution isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay, and probably will continue to, to scale up as well. Uh, you, know, you mentioned the difference between uh, the ecological uh, n- and necessity and the the, the the digital side being uh, a tool which can be an enabler for this as well. From if we talk about ICT and how it can help the green transition, uh, assuming that the green the digital side is not going away. Where do you think we're best uh, invested uh, in terms of our time and our policy direction as well? What helps most and achieve the green uh, transition by using digital? David.
3: Um, Thank you. It's it's, it's a difficult question. I think in the beginning, we need to make reflection what we need, really need. For the moment, the temptation is we make new infrastructure of numeric like 5G, 6G, etc. Et and after we look what we can do with this new infrastructure, I think it's not the good methodology. What we really need uh, for our life, for example, about the SME, we had a, a report uh, in the European Parliament about uh, artificial intelligence. And in this report, we said, of SME need artificial intelligence. Why? I'm not sure 75% of SME need artificial intelligence. I think we need to make the things in the good order, in the nice order. And the nice order is how can we do to have the most important sobriety? And today, the digital model is the contrary of the sobriety, is more things more infrastructure, more object, more uh, connected objects, etc., etc., etc. We uh, make with the Greens uh, uh, we, we ordered a study, a study about uh, the overall impact of uh, digital technology. In this study, we see we see in this study uh, the uh, all the the, 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 the the digital already contributes uh, substantially as a very big impact for the uh, environment, and in, with this study, we try to uh, have some, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, but but uh, index to uh, make evaluation of the green, uh, of the uh, uh, ecological impact of, the, uh, of, the, of this kind of technology. And we said, we, we, we propose uh, to have uh, uh, standards to build this uh, connected objects, to have a transparency about the impact and the repairability of these objects, we will make some proposition to have a digital, more durable, more reutilizable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for the moment, is not the standard of the digital uh, economy. Uh, the, the economic uh, model of the digital economy is the contrary of that.
0: Okay, thank you, uh, David. Uh, Amory, data-driven approach was uh, part of your headline, and uh, Daniel and Elias have also t- touched clearly uh, on this as well. Um, I just want to bring Elias in just a moment on SMEs, but uh, just to, to before that as well, data-driven approach, to link it to investments and what SMEs need, need as well, you know, do, do you see the metrics on the horizon that we need for this? Uh, a data-driven approach for investors for SMEs to plan, or um, you, you know, are, are we too far away from uh, the, the kind of measurement of deployment that Ilya said is important as well? You know, where are we on data-driven approach, Marie?
5: I think, as, as Molly already said, that, that the telco industry is already, um, especially vis-à-vis the, the financial stakeholders, um, trying uh, reporting on a lot of uh, on a lot of issues and a lot of parameters. So um, I think we should really build on that because what we do see is that, um, as was already pointed out, there are a lot of different demands from different stakeholders for different purposes. And that of course doesn't help. I mean, if you have to report on aspect A of your network uh, to one party, aspect B to another, and aspect C uh, for the next, and these are all kind kind of having something to do with greening your infrastructure, for example, then everybody just gets confused and nobody knows what to do. For example, um, when you look at uh, the new state aid guidelines, then choosing as a state to um, subsidize uh, the rollout of fiber or 5G to remote areas, um, there is uh, also an aspect of looking into uh, the most sustainable um, technology to be used, which is, of course, something that we would all advocate. But then you'd have to look what metrics to choose, and then I think maybe there's uh, more a tendency towards too many metrics um, so that you cannot see the, the forest through the three trees. So that is why uh, we think it is uh, it will be really good to make sure that we get all the stakeholders around the table in a couple of technical workshops to work through all these metrics to see can we get a kind of a, a core set so that we all talk about the same things. Um, and that that guides all our decisions in various aspects because I do understand that the the various industries they need uh, they need to have some stable bearings to make sure that you get the right investment uh, investment environment and to get that stable uh, to get a stable set of indicators and to know what that you have the same basics uh, on which to uh, to have a discussion and a dialogue uh, is very important. So actually, I think that we may have a bit too many data and that it's it's more on on, on streamlining them on consistency okay. on bringing on aligning them and i think alignment is is more what we need
0: thank you elias you wanted to remark on smes as well
2: yes i just wanted to say that big large companies are, know what to do and they have the capacity to understand how to be more sustainable how to measure their scope 1 scope 2 scope 3 and uh, you know, try to really make the difference. SMEs are a bit lost because they don't have the capacity to even understand how do I become a greener business or how do I change my business to be circular business. And that's where ICT actually can come in. ICT can come in to organize more efficiently the buildings. They don't maybe need all these buildings. They don't need all this, you know, transport. Maybe there is a logistical issue that ICT can help on their own footprint, but more importantly, they can rethink their business to be more circular. And I'm talking to some of the retail businesses that would try to become a product as a service where they can make money by selling the same thing second and third time if they collaborate with the refurbishers, repairers, re- remanufacturers, so they can actually take back some of the products they sell, make them repair. Re- you know refurbish and they sell them again so there are new ways of doing things they should not be scared of the green transition that i will be forced to sell less objects so my profits will go down there are ways to do it and those ways are enabled by track and trace and having situational awareness where are these things that i'm leasing are and what are their performance status what is their you know location or status in terms of repairability ICT can really make the difference in this circular business model. And ICT SMEs are more flexible to go for it.
0: OK, thank you, Elias. And Even to build on that as well, let's talk about digital innovation hubs as well and the role uh, that we have, uh, just to, to highlight some of the, the examples Elias gave us there as well. You know, digital innovation hubs um, and looking at sustainable data systems as well, Uh, How do you see the deployment of Digital Innovation Hubs in terms of of ICT and the green transition? And let's bring in a little bit about the SMEs on this as well. Ivan.
4: Yes, I think Digital Innovation Hub is a pretty important uh, idea. And I'm absolutely sure that's a very important idea also for um, improvement of infrastructure for um, SMEs. SMEs will benefit from that because uh, SMEs need... uh, better infrastructure they need also better access to the capital of course but uh, uh, if ha- if they have uh, better access to information better better working environment uh, and also if they can share their ideas uh, it can um, they can benefit from from uh, this new environment so i think um, generally we have to talk about the improvement of uh, infrastructure improvement of access to capital and also uh, improvement of um, say having a skilled labor force we very often forget about the issue of uh, labor force i think if we talk about digital innovation hub there is a chance to get uh, better and reskilled uh, personnel which uh, can be hired uh, or who can be hired by the smes Thank
0: you. Daniel, just in terms of, uh, of innovation and investment uh, as well, you know, it, the, we can't, we're not going to stand still with this. Different companies of different sizes all need money put into innovation as well, and how they spend that money to achieve uh, green outcomes as well as, as clear their, their market objectives as well. You know, from, from the policy standpoint, how are we incentivizing large and small businesses to innovate but in a green way?
1: Yeah, I think that part of the answer also comes by making very clearly at the highest political level uh, where ideally, uh, because markets decide, but where ideally they they think of of, of investing. And if you look at our climate objectives in the EU Green Deal, we, we all know which sectors are the hard to abate ones and where digital technology can really, really make a difference. These are the sectors where we need to achieve lots of greenhouse gas emission reductions, it's transport, it's industry, it's agriculture, it's buildings and manufacturing. Those are really uh, very key uh, uh, areas where digital technology will be absolutely necessary to help uh, people to reduce uh, these, uh, these emissions. And those are exactly also the priority areas that Ilios is working on uh, with the data measurements. Uh, so there's a complete mirroring of these uh, of these objectives. So th- the, uh, the priority areas that I've outlined are the ones that we will work on first to indeed give businesses, big or small, the some, some of the investment certainty that is uh, uh, needed. And as Ilya has also mentioned, uh, uh, the the label for the sustainable investments will then also become uh, more important. We already know where uh, some further action is needed, but we we still believe this is uh, doable. Because if you look at some of the infrastructures that we've we've been talking about, uh, unfortunately, all the energy efficiency gains by technology, according to all the studies, seem to be outweighed because we will consume uh, more. uh, So there will be more use of it. So it's an area where we will work uh, on it and we have done this already. Like the data centers, for example, have already a so-called taxonomy label. If they comply with certain uh, requirements, they sustainable the investment can also uh, go there and count as a green investment. So that is very important. And uh, um, coming back on the role of SMEs uh, as well, uh, I think that also the point that um, uh, Beric also made on uh, the data different approach is really important here. We really want SMEs to be part of this transition. We also want them to be part of the investment that we need in all these areas that I've mentioned. And I think that the sharing of data uh, in these common data spaces, could also be really a helpful uh, tool for SMEs to be a part of this, and of course, in a trusted environment, in a secure environment where they don't have to be afraid that the next competitor will walk away with that data. So everything that, that we've been doing on proposing uh, data sharing and a uh, fair uh, fair data access will be important to uh, empower uh, these SMEs to be part of it because you know they are uh, the innovative house of uh, of Europe too.
0: Thank you, Daniel. Veronique, you wanted to follow up and then I will go to Molly on green investments as well. Veronique.
6: Yes, uh, thank you. I would like to indeed come back on the digital innovation hubs and and what Ivan already put forward there. I think uh, it's important that we also make sure that the digital innovation hubs are close to the SMEs, uh, make sure that they have a a, a good outreach, uh, also, cooperate very thoroughly with the SME organizations who are first in line in in contacts with with small and medium sized enterprises. Uh, to indeed make sure that they get access to the right technology and also get the right training for the staff, but certainly also for the entrepreneur who needs to make sure that his or her company is, uh, is ready and that uh, new business models are can, uh, considered uh, to, to get a way forward.
0: Thank you, Veronique. Uh, Molly, just to follow up on, on what uh, Daniel was saying, and uh, we're going to take some questions uh, from our audience, so I just encourage you to send any questions right now. Uh, Molly, green investments uh, from, from your company and, and what you see from your peers uh, as well, uh, you, what does green investment really mean to you? Is it just about the taxonomy, or do you have uh, your own criteria for what green investment should look like, which go beyond uh, what will actually be, be required?
7: Yeah, it's a great question because I think, you know, for us it encompasses a little bit of everything. Um, certainly we have, you know, areas of our business that look at ventures that do have, um, you know, parameters that we, you know, we want to to comply with certain green elements. We, um, you know, that that's certainly important to us. Um, just building on what Daniel said um, about, you know, emissions, and just what investments can do probably from a broader perspective. I mean, we know that energy accounts for about three quarters of EU's greenhouse gas emissions. So we know that addressing energy usage is key to reaching the Paris Agreement goals. Um, In terms of, you know, our role in the ICT sector being part of that solution, um, you know, we've actually partnered with EY focusing on you know, a a report on how to mitigate energy consumption in key emitting sectors and activities such as energy, agriculture, manufacturing and and buildings. And for us, you know, we, in a macro perspective, we've highlighted use cases for reducing emissions. So just to, to give you a couple of examples, Um, You know, on our 5G network, you know, we see a future that has drones connected to our network. Um, We've we've had use cases where Swiss farmers can analyze real-time images to detect the position of weeds and thereby reducing herbicide usage by 90%, pesticide usage by 80%. Um, We've seen a Dutch company in the Netherlands um, use building management systems powered by gigabit connectivity, again, using real-time data on room, you know, collecting data on room temperatures, humidity, CO2 levels, and being able to reduce energy consumption by up to 30% in older buildings and up to 10% even in newer buildings. So these are just a couple of examples um, outside of the more traditional things that you think of, such as smart transport, smart cities, um, that we look at our sector and ourselves ultimately having a substantial opportunity to to create impact.
0: Thank you. Molly, just to continue on this for a moment is, you know, I'm in Brussels today, but I live in Washington, D.C., and the, the 5G network is substantially better than it was six months ago and it will continue to to improve but it seems to me we're still far from what we could describe as a five G infrastructure, which um, mm. can create smart cities. So clearly, there's a massive amount of investment necessary for that to happen. But it is already apparent that uh, the organisation of society, particularly for, for vehicles and and home heating as well, this this is something which is tangible uh, already. Now, yesterday we did a, a, an interview with the um, executive uh, vice president of Yara International, which is an agricultural um, uh, company they deal with uh, fertilizers. And they were saying how they use, uh, you touched on uh, farming here as well, how they use uh, digital technology to help farmers uh, plan more efficiently with the fertilizer. And the consequence of that is a massive reduction in, in nitrogen uh, as well as, as carbon uh, as uh, usage too. And not only that, but they're using the same kind of technology. To reduce carbon, uh, uh, their carbon footprint in the production of uh, the fertilizers in, in the first instance as well. So you know, from their uh, perspective, that's investment in, in a, a green investment, not just themselves, uh, but in, in farmers too. You know, is there a tipping point in terms of investment? Are are large scale companies? Uh, is this reaching the boardroom in a, a new way? And is it happening more quickly than before, or is this still a theoretical? Uh, mood, which is uh, not quite actionable yet uh, at the board level.
7: I, I think it goes back earlier to, to your question about 5G. So today it's about 14% of populated areas in EU have access to 5G. So if we want to be able to drive these solutions at scale, we, we have a ways to go. Um, you know, certainly we're, we're further ahead on our fixed network. Um, you know, we're offering one gigabit services, you know, to 96, 95% of, of our own footprint. Um, but I think, I think 5g, you know, the use cases are there, they're proving out, um, how far they're reaching boardrooms and, and, you know, how close they are on, on roadmaps and, um, what investors are looking at and what the decision makers of companies are looking at, um, I think it's you know I think it's a little bit further out, and it goes back to the point about investment and making sure that you know we continue to invest, our sector continues to invest, but also that we're stimulated to do so.
0: Okay, thank you. We are going to take some questions now as well. Uh, please send in uh, your questions now. If you can tell us who you are, where you're from as well, it's helpful just for some context too. Um, question to Daniel Maes. Um, um, very predictable answer, I think, but the question is interesting. The share of ICT in global greenhouse gases emissions rose from 2.5% 2. to 2013 to 3.7% in 2019. Shouldn't we consider restricting the use of digital devices for usages that make environmental... Uh, environmentally sense uh, environmental sense for example control of heating systems I support the reduction of uh, digital devices for teenagers this would be a, a personal uh, approach um, for environmental reasons of course Daniel you know th- this is th- I'm not asking you about this question because uh, you know there's no way that you can say that we should restrict digital devices but the idea of how uh, the public sentiment, um, can shift, and what you saw in the Netherlands example you give about uh, the electricity prioritisation as well. You know, are, are we going to see a Gilets jaunes movement, which uh, you know it pushes back against uh, digital consumption or the prioritisation of uh, digital uh, energy use as well? How do you see that?
1: But it is something that we that we all must work to uh, to avoid. that something like what happened in zuid in the Netherlands, which I mentioned, doesn't happen uh, across across Europe. And uh, um, if you see that that the footprint that we have now would would actually you know increase threefold uh, going to uh, going through the next decades, then that is an issue. But clearly, our ambition, at least at the European Commission, is that the two should go together. Our ambition is not to uh, make these two transitions tear each other apart. We really want them uh, to bring, uh, uh, to bring them together. And when it comes to the use of devices, uh, part of the answer is really some proposal that we've already made uh, to make sure that uh, there's not only, you know, the debate's not only about, like, which part of the phone individually can I repair, which part can I recycle. It, the phone should do- just also last longer. We should just all have devices that last longer and are durable. Uh, you've shared your personal uh, frustration about the devices of a kids. Uh, we also have the personal frustration about that every after two years, um, your iPhone has to be, exchanged again because it's not working anymore if this just simply lasts longer if you just have the rules on that you also limit uh, some of these effects that uh, we all do want to be connected and have some of these devices so these proposals are extremely important and also picking up on what david uh, also said indeed david is absolutely right this is not only about only about the energy but i think for him for confirming that it is also about the energy uh, it's also about the materials so the rare earth and the minerals that are in these uh, phones we do not want to cut the reliance on russian fossil fuels in order to create a new reliance on other countries when it comes to uh, rare earths so we do need to uh, uh, work on that too and that's why that is also a part of what we want to do with the devices so that you um, that they uh, that the rare earths in there to the extent that you can't expect them to recycle them you know that it also does uh, uh, last longer but that you can also reuse uh, some of them uh, later it is ver- it is a very important element of this um, as well
0: so I, I just to summarize i can tell my kids basically that france timmerman's guy said that they can't use their phones because it's killing the planet is that right
1: I think so. <laughs> I, would, I would hope that the story will be like, uh, your phone lasts longer, and uh, like that, um, you do a really good job as well. And then, and then I, you need to do the parental control yourself of what they do with it.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you how that's working out. OK, David, I want to bring it back to Gilet-Jean, uh, as well. You wanted to mention about this as well. David, go ahead.
3: Yeah, thank you. I asked you to, to make a reaction because you make a parallel with uh, uh, yellow jacket, and you're right. What happens in France with a yellow jacket? The matter was, and the matter is already, uh, a lot of people think they are free with their cars because our model is to make this dependence between us and with and, and the mobility only exists by cars. Your autonomy is guaranteed by your automobile. But this uh, promise uh, is unrealizable. It's impossible to promise everybody to have big cars and to ride it uh, every time uh, with a good price. And that's the matter with the yellow jacket. With numerics, with digital, we could have the same matter because we build new dependence. In fact, in the European Union, we haven't got the uh, the resources for... Uh, big development of the uh, uh, of digital. Look, we have the matter with chips. We need chips. We don't know where we can have chips that will be the same things with the digital. And I think the good answer at this matter in European Union is not to guarantee the uh, uh, the approvisionment of resources and always more resources and always more resources. The good uh, answer at this matter is to control our dependencies, to don't multiplicate the object, the connected object, to have about our children uh, with the phone. Uh, so we don't need to say to our children, we can't use your telephone, your your iPhone. It's to say to our children, you will have only one iPhone during 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years. That's it's it's possible to make that, but for the moment, the economy we, uh, big, we, we we build is not uh, about sovereignty and last word about uh, the magic 5g with the magic 5g we can make a new agriculture without pollution, without pesticides is not the reality. In fact, if we uh, make uh, we, we, we already know how to do an ecological agriculture. We have the solutions since uh, since uh, years and years to make uh, ecological uh, agriculture. And it's not with the 5G and with the big uh, uh, exploitation. Uh, today's exploitation is 200 or 300 hectares in Europe. With the digital solution, is not a real solution. With the digital solution, what we want? Uh, 2,000 uh, hectares of uh, agricultural exploitation. I don't think it's a good way to make the future of European Europe.
0: Okay, uh, I think well the, the point I was making was yesterday that it wasn't necessarily to scale up the scale of a- agriculture or the, the level of production, but to make it more efficient and more uh, environmentally uh, sustainable as well. Um, I'm not telling my kids that you're proposing uh, ten years for their iPhone. I'm just not going to have that conversation. Um, uh, Elias, you wanted to come back in again
2: on uh, I've pretty forgotten. Go ahead. Yeah, but but I want to make point that David made uh, before. I want to. Take agriculture as an example. First of all, we should be open to pathways that do not need digitalization. It's not a must that every solution for sustainability has to have digitalization. If there are small fields where organic farming can do just happily without precision farming, so be it. We we are not tied in this twin transition that it has to be always with digital, first. Second, there are different ways to do precision farming one a usual way that i observe that will actually maybe get us into harmful use of digital is that we want farmers to become techies we ask them to buy gps for their tractor buy at least so many drones per hectare of your field make sure that you stick so many connected devices in the soil to measure absorbance of you know uh, the the different you know nutrients or on the leaves of the plant this is impossible to recuperate the direct footprint of all these gadgets, they are not skilled enough. First, they don't, want, they don't have resources, they don't have skills. They will not be able to use it optimally to make sure that they have a net environmental benefit of this digitalization. Instead, we should just, look just at just much...
0: On, on that, Elias, let me ask you on this specifically, because I think it's an interesting point. And, you know, the precision farming is one thing, I totally take the point that not everybody needs this. Organic farming is also compatible with, with uh, non-organic to a certain degree as well. But when we're talking about a 5G uh, uh, architecture which enables precision farming, it, it should, to my mind at least, uh, enable the farmer to not have to get too involved in all these different dynamics. And this is where we're talking about other stakeholders. So you're working with universities, with uh, large-scale uh, agrico- uh, agricultural uh, manufacturers mm-hmm. as well, the food production companies, that they're able to help direct the sustainability exactly. of what's taking place in the farming and allowing the farmer to just do what he or she is good at. Rather than be too worried about the the technology, so put the technology in place, ensure the network is robust, but have that supporting team of of uh, manufacturers, researchers and and uh, and producers on the other side that uh, that uh, help leverage all that data. Is that, is
2: that not how we should be doing this, Elias? That's exactly what I wanted to say. So instead of okay. pushing gadgets on farmers, let's create an ecosystem where the agricultural product product company, the one that sells fertilizers and pesticides, and it's incentivizing and it, it's their marketing their products to make sure that it's used more and more every year because that's how they make profit. If they become service company and say, let's work together with the farmers and you just pay me per hectare and it's my problem to make keep the health of these plants, they will minimize the use of fertilizers, fertilizers and pesticides because it's a cost to them. But they need a lot of intelligence to make sure that they do right things and don't actually fall back on the contract that they have so that is a completely new way of working on it but then there is a small print who owns the data of all this intelligence and there we have the data, data act where to to make sure that the farmers benefit from the data acquired from their fields as well
0: thank you I uh, will take some more questions just a moment uh, even I wanted to build on this you mentioned unicorns earlier on as well uh, unicorns are basically as we all know uh, g- strong horses with too much fertilizer attached so the unicorns in Europe we don't have many and it's we, we struggle to see this kind of scaling up uh, of business uh, do we need to really pursue this uh, this approach of of, uh, of unicorns or uh, you know Is it the, the multitude of SMEs uh, and their resilience and their ambition and their innovation that actually outstrip the capacity any Euro- unicorns could produce uh, in Europe as well? And, and uh, you know, the innovation, as Daniel said, you know, the, 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 the intelligence that comes out of SMEs uh, is you know, formative in terms of where we go with our, our green and, and digital uh, transition as well, which is more important, unicorns or the SME uh, in- ecosystem.
4: Well, I think everything is important because to have unicorns, uh, it means to have a good example that uh, something can be successful. So uh, from 25 uh, most successful IT companies uh, in the world now, there is no one European one. So um, this is unfortunate result. So it shows that uh, we need to change something and we need to create ecosystem uh, and we need to improve uh, business environment in order to have unicorns. Therefore, we talk about uh, innovation hub therefore we talk about improvement uh, to the access to capital uh, therefore we talk about uh, how to improve uh, skills etc so we have to improve a lot of things on this way but uh, to have really some unicorn it uh, it shows a really good example uh, how to go ahead and it is important example for all SMEs so i think um, it is connected everything is connected definitely we have to Uh, Current situation shows that uh, we have to improve uh, business environment and we have to improve a lot of things in digital transition uh, which can uh, improve uh, and uh, create better conditions for companies uh, which can uh, grow because uh, we have a lot of SMEs, we have a lot of good ideas, but the problem is that uh, uh, they do not have really right... uh, business environment, and many of them, they realize their ideas outside of Europe. So it shows that we have to change something. Just
0: uh, on the digital innovation hubs, we have a question here specifically on this from Olga Bilichenko. She asks, I would like to ask about the innovation hubs. There are clear objectives, but what are there clear objectives for industry and what is the process to join one of those in an area of interest? Uh, thank you for the question, Olga. even you got a, a, a quick answer on that?
4: Well, I I would just uh, repeat myself, but uh, I think uh, what what, uh, we have to do, once again, improve access to capital, but we have to also invest uh, uh, in the right way uh, public money. We have a lot of uh, uh, public money put in place, for example, in a recovery and resilience facility. Uh, But uh, I think this... uh, these plans are quite different country by country so i would appreciate uh, really some kind of unification some kind of uh, standardization not only in terms of reporting but also how to how to put these uh, sources together uh, in order to have better results also for digital innovation hubs. Okay,
0: thank you. Uh, question, let's go to anne for this uh, from Bernardo Matos uh, from Bentley Systems. When thinking of infrastructure like electricity grids, water management systems, what role do the speakers see for digital twins as a tool to help achieve the green transition? You got a take on that, uh, anne
5: Not on digital twins per se, I think, but we have been talking about how to enable uh, the digital helping these, these smart grids which are uh, which are going to uh, uh, to prove an opportunity, which is something different than, uh, than whether it's really be realized. And I do see that for example, my colleagues in Ireland have um, have allocated specific spectrum uh, specifically to, to manage the smart grid. So we do not have to wait for the full 5G universe to unfold we are already as regulators looking at a spectrum and spectrum allocation and also as berec we're looking into making sure that uh, that there is capacity in in frequency to make sure that all these that, that companies that have solutions like the ones that, that Elias just described that uh, that there is a potential and that there's frequency to be used and that there is a space to to create these uh, these innovative solutions and make sure that you can bring them to to, to the market so i personally cannot wait to um, uh, for these solutions to arise, uh, because it is the promise that we have with with the new technology. But as with all promises, um, uh, the proof of the pudding is uh, is in the is in the eating.
0: Thank you, Amrik uh, Daniel. Just on on standardisation as well. You know, it's something I hear again and again from from uh, blue chip companies. Uh, their frustration at lack of standardisation. They they want to invest in projects in Europe. Uh, they look to the Chinese market, and they, they have a standard there. They can put their money there. German automakers are just a prime example. Qualcomm uh, and others uh, in terms of IP and, and, and chip manufacture as well. You know, why are we still hesitating when it comes to ICT standards as well? Are are, are we just trying to get it right, or do we not? Um, do do we just not know which direction we're going to go in with with some standards and with I, IP decisions as well, Daniel?
1: No, i I would not say that uh, that that we're not uh, uh, not on that ball at all because uh, commissioner de Breton who's actually Elias is uh, a commissioner has proposed a uh, standardization strategy that we're now uh, implementing and uh, standards for uh, help to help both the green and digital transition play a key uh, role uh, uh, in that so uh, perhaps also Elias can, uh, can can step in uh, on on that if, if need be, but also picking up on the digital twin point that was just uh, made. I, by the way, also thought that, that what uh, just said on the way that uh, some of these regulators are allocating spectrum, so the frequency to use uh, for a telecom network, I think it's super interesting what she just said, that that some of this can also go to these energy players that come with these smart solutions for the energy grids. I think that that is really lauded, and uh, hopefully that the type of work continues because that immediately brings... Um, Benefits to this, uh, and digital twins uh, uh, are uh, important um, because if you take, for instance, if you make a digital twin of the energy network, you can really predict. Oh, the uh, renewable energy needs to go in now. Congestion may arise over there. We need to uh, anticipate before it actually really happens. That can make sure that you don't have the situation right now that you have to choose between, well, a device or a, uh, or being connected to the energy grid. But nobody wants that result, and a di- and the digital twin can help there. And that's why we will make. Uh, very concrete announcements, actually, on that uh, when we come with an action plan for, uh, for for energy, because we really want to launch something really concrete on uh, on exactly this uh, topic, the digital twin of the um, energy system.
0: Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for that. Are there any just uh, supplementary remarks there uh, on the standardisation?
2: Okay. In our biggest kind of a biggest project and initiative called digital twin of the earth where we're actually trying to create a model where we can use it for environmental climate, uh, extreme weather conditions. So this is a big project that we just initiated as DigiConnect with in cooperation with others like DEFIS and Copernicus services and others. The digital twin is something you can apply as a manufacturer to make sure that you understand how to build the best product, car, but we have enlarged it to Airbuses and to cities. In the cities, you can have a digital twin of the transport, of the water systems, and that's where, you know, IOTs, these connected devices, 60% of the water network sometimes is lost because of leakages. ICT can really make a difference by measuring where are the problems and having kind of a real-time view of your water uh, networks. So it's coming back to the question of the water. On the standards, This is a crucial thing. This is a critical thing that people underestimate. It's this boring thing that is kind of nobody wants to talk about, but it's a key to make sure that we actually underpin our market. Single market is all about SMEs being able to have one environment to grow. You will never get big SMEs and unicorns if we don't act like a single market. And standard is one of the success, uh, you know, necessary success conditions for that. And we do work with, of course the european sdo so etsy sen senelec uh, and others but we do also see that this is a global issue so we work with itu yeah and other even regional standardization offices in asia and us to make sure that when we think green digital we have a global agreement of what does it mean to be you know sustainable ict
0: thank you i know that veronique and yeah, even also wanted to uh, speak on standardization as well veronique
6: Yes, maybe also from the from the SME perspective, uh, I agree with Elias that, that standardization is crucial for the for the green and digital transition. Um, if you, for instance, you want to go to circular economy, you need to have standards on which waste uh, resources can be can be reused and can be put back into the to the system. Uh, on digital, I think it's also clear that uh, that um, standards are required. On the other hand, in the, indeed, making sure that SMEs can get into the market uh, and remain in the market, standards have to be uh, feasible for small and medium-sized enterprises. And that is also why uh, uh, SME United a uh, um, few years ago already set up with several different other partners' small business standards to ensure the involvement of small companies in the standardization process, making sure that the standards which are developed at the European level, national level, even and also the international level are feasible for SMEs and make sure that they can also further develop their products. Um, and in that way, SBS is also involved in Sen Senelec, Etsy, and also at the international level within uh, ISO and uh, ITU. So I think that there, the, the importance of creating a market and ensuring the market for small companies is a very, a very important uh, element to take into account.
4: For Nick, thank you, Ivan. Thank you Brian. I do agree absolutely with all the arguments about uh, necessity to standardize. I just like to give you one uh, very small but important example how standardization is important. From European Parliament we were successful enough to go ahead with uh, standards for the charger for all mobile phones and e-devices, tablets, so this is just a, a small idea, but very important for practical use and also from uh, environmental point of view because it will reduce uh, waste significantly. So it is uh, the example how digital and uh, environmental transition go ahead together. Thank you. Uh, let's take another question or
0: two as well. A remark from uh, Peppy Polymers. Thank you. There's only something worse than the, there's only something worse than training the workers and leaving. Do not train them and let them stay, said Henry Ford. Henry Ford's not online today, obviously. Uh, are there tools that uh, design innovative methodologies to uh, eco-design and promote a thriving local productive model of circular economy based on the itinerant Industry 4.0 model? Anybody want to have a go at that?
2: I should leave that one with you, Elias. I'm not sure. Yeah, I understand that. I cannot understand. I, I cannot agree more that if you had had one silver bullet, if you say I can use digital in one area only, I have to choose. I would say digitalization for circular economy would be the, maybe the most powerful. People don't make the the link between climate change and circular economy. The okay. emissions, or the industrial emissions, are huge. And in order to do that, we have a new kit on the block that we just have a. Uh, end of March, we adopted the Sustainable Product Initiative, the Sustainable Product uh, Regulation. And there is a new thing called Digital Product Passport. And in order to make sure that we trace and track materials, products that we don't lose them from the system, and we reuse the material, well, we keep them as long as possible, as David was trying to make before, and Danielle, the point. But we also, we don't lose the batteries ever from the system, so we know where this material is, and we reuse it. So we are not dependent as Europe so much on the imports of these materials. We have to manage that material we have. It's a value that we're losing billions every year by not tracking, tracing, and re-evaluating it. Yeah. Good point. Thank you, Luis. Uh, Daniel.
1: <clears throat> yeah, like just to also uh, compliment on this, uh, on, on this, on the SMEs and the, and the circular economy. You know, I really believe that this is that this is an area where we especially need to work with uh, the SMEs because it's an area where we can lead on their basis because th- these can be typically like the the solutions that look small scale, you know, like uh, we use a piece of textile rather than uh, a piece of uh, a T-shirt rather than and we manufacture it into something new. And that's typically an idea that can come from an SME. And that's also why we've proposed as a crucial plan of our circular economy uh, action plan to create a separate hub for that, even uh, a separate hub for circular economy coming with also with the skills, uh, uh, working with the skills to make sure that you work with the latest Eco-design requirements, because let's face it, and SME should not be expected to check the website for the latest eco-design requirement. It should be just explained in, in, in a hub uh, uh, format. Um, and uh, this hub can also really, I think, help to launch really great ideas. There are many already out there. In Scandinavia, this this remanufacturing of T-shirts is, is going like crazy, and it's very interesting to see.
0: Okay, I want to bring Veronica in just a second, but Daniel, just to, to follow up on what you said about skills, which we think is, is super important. You know, we've been doing circular economy for a while, we've been doing the, the environmental uh, transition for a while, the Green Deal. You know, where do skills fit in this? Are, are we able to observe a new set of, of training patterns which are, are needed and should be deployed in the near future?
1: Yeah, like well, here, here you have like a, a, a distinction, I think, between the uh, the energy decision that we're all going in, because there you see that, for instance, electrification and software are like crucial horizontal skills, so software as well, huh? uh, 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 that are really good skills to focus on to teach as many people as possible, because that's where new jobs will uh, will arise. Uh, if you take the area of mobility, uh, especially the move to electric cars, they have a lot of software, more of them than combustion engine cars, so the two can really go nicely together. So I would say electrification and software uh, are, are, are in key focus here because it allows people to move from sectors where it becomes more challenging to new sectors where uh, uh, business is uh, uh, booming. And I guess that Veronique will say that perhaps on the circular part, we might have to do a little bit more work uh, uh, on that, but happy to take that uh, with me as a recommendation if she says so.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Veronique, over to you.
6: I couldn't do anything else but uh, confirm now, of course, Danielle. But uh, I think that also social partners are working hard at the moment to indeed map uh, skills, needs, and requirements on, on Green Transition, uh, making sure that, that we have a good view on, on what are the current needs and the, and the upcoming uh, requirements as well towards the future. Also pushing them to get uh, the training offer in place Uh across europe and especially also in those rural areas uh, where for us it's key to also have that that local production and that circular economy going because in in rural areas there's a lot of potential uh to in in first instance reindustrialize again and secondly also make sure that we there create the the ecosystems and the business models to really give that circular economy uh, an additional push and, and give uh, the, them the necessary facilitating environment to do so, so I think that um, striking the balance between the global economy and, on the other hand, local production and circular economy business models will be will be an important uh, point of attention uh, towards the future with SMEs on board as well.
0: Thank you, Amory. In your report, your draft report, uh, do you touch on skills now in terms of connectivity and what's needed in the marketplace now?
5: No, not in this report. Uh, exactly, uh, Brian, but the skills and especially what we call the, the mirror of a digital divide is something that is very close to uh, to our mission as well. Because I do think uh, we have been talking about how the digital transition and how much more of our lives as, as workers, but also as students or as members of a family are trying to reach out to loved ones, the skill set is uh, or be citizens, for example. You have to have digital skills, and I think that is another that that is a very important theme that we as regulators already have a very close at heart and actually what we do is we try to reach out and help people to make sure that that they are uh, going to be part of that digital future and that they are aware and that they are able to actually participate and contribute, because I do think that. as technology advances at such a high speed, it's not just the labour force that has to uh, uh, keep in pace. It's also if we look at the digital divide, uh, people without skills are more and more left behind if there is no, not an opt out solution. So if um, if we do more and more online, and if we think that that the digital is going to be uh, an important uh, an important part, for example. Why not access public services uh, online so that you do not have to travel? It sounds like a really sustainable idea, but then you have to make really sure that your citizens are able to actually do um, interact with the government, for example, or with public services uh, online. So I think that the skills issue is a very crucial issue, also to make sure that we all uh, can be part of an inclusive digital future.
0: Thank you, Molly, when you're talking about reducing your own environmental footprint uh, as well, you know what's the skills uh, and training and education mentality like at Liberty Global, you know have you changed this, or is this always been something in terms of of awareness that's been built in? Is there a new mindset uh, to deal with this and reduce the footprint?
7: I think so. I mean, this is we I mean we're talking about a really dynamic landscape right now when it comes to ESG and environmental and green matters I mean we you know we have yet to standardize even how we we look at this so you know just as an example um, you know on one hand we're looking at upcoming EU legislation um, and and targets here in Europe on the other hand as a publicly listed um, company in the United States we are also dealing with um, you know the 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 climate-related disclosures proposal from the SEC. And so what does that mean when you have a a lot of um, new targets, new ways of doing things and and how you wrap that into your business and and really um, make sure that you're transparent, make sure that you're doing the right things, make sure that um, your stakeholders understand and are on board. So yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, multi-fold to the business. I think it's it's you know the 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 call for digitization that we've seen over the last couple of years, um, particularly with COVID and just the demand on our networks and having so many activities um, transform to to digital ways of doing things. I mean that certainly has has played um, a huge factor for us and the way that we're doing things and the skills that we need from our people. Um, but then also from the ESG standpoint, um, you know, this is just, it's a very dynamic climate and um, we're, we're focused on it more than ever.
0: Okay. Thank you. I have a couple of questions here. Daniel, you can hit this one of the ballpark. Federica Bordelais, how to finance the twin transition and who should do it? Daniel.
1: Well, like, there are lots of like funding opportunities at Europe. But the, the real reality is that uh, both in the Green Deal decision, lots of investments need to come from uh, from the private sector. And that's why it's so important to have uh, the right framework in place that that, uh, uh, that, that happens. Uh, so the right labels when an investment is uh, sustainable, when you talk about the EU Green Deal objective and just clear uh, directions of where you believe priorities, uh, priority areas, uh, uh, priorities are and uh, uh, I believe that with you know unicorns unicorns were mentioned and unicorns often are SMEs at the beginning we should not uh, forget that the first European unicorn that we have is uh, a Bolt uh, and it's actually exactly in this area that we're talking about a digital solution for mobility as a service connecting e-scooters with uh, with public transport and uh, and bikes and then shared uh, cars and it's taking off massively in uh, in Europe so I hope that our investment framework will um, continue uh, having more of those um, yeah creating more of those unicorns
0: okay uh, David uh, David the, the, you've heard a lot which is clearly going against the grain of, of the direction you would like to see um, you know do you do you see that uh, the digital revolution um, has a positive uh, dynamic as well and which can be harnessed? Uh, For the green transition, which can really uh, produce uh, a strong benefit uh, in the hands of the right training, the right investment strategy, uh, the right measurement uh, as well, and and a sensibility to what uh, people on the uh, what citizens uh, will actually tolerate as well. Do you think we're capable of that, David?
3: Yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh, You're right. I try to make uh, the make uh, another point because for the moment i think we make a lot of dream about uh, digital world digital world is a perfect world is a theoretic world but i think we don't live in a theoretic world we live in the real world for example when uh, we talked about digital during a long time we're talking about immaterial economy like if we, we're talking about cloud, uh, we're talking about all the all these things. But in fact, digital economy uh, have very material uh, consequences. And I think you know for the ecologist, we always try to say be careful. There is what we see, but there is uh, uh, negative uh, e- uh, consequences of this. Uh, I, I, I forget the word uh, in France. Uh, in French, sure. is, uh, uh, anyway. But you know, there is con- bad consequences in the real world. And but I do you, but from,
0: what, from what you've heard today, David, uh, you, the, the idea that the European Union is really trying to measure what's happening, not just theoretically but actually in deployment as well—I don't want to put words in your mind, but we're, we're going the right direction. You should, should, should you have confidence that with the right measurement, that, that uh, we, we can do this well?
3: To be well with digital, we need, uh, I try to say that, to have a real analyse about the uh, the life cycle assessment of the products. For the moment, we don't make this today. We don't know the concrete consequences of the digital revolution. You know, in the European Union, we make today about anything. When we want to move some things, there is a f- study and study and study to analyze life. To make this new world with digital, no study. We don't know the consequences. The first things we said: try to make study. Second things: we make some proposition about uh, uh, strong eco design to build this uh, this uh, this uh, uh, this, uh, connected uh, object to make. addressing mandatory environmental performance labeling to have a, a real looking about the impact of this object. We try to make some proposition about that. And uh, I, I can't I answer anything about that. Okay. But the first thing is to, we need to know in which direction we want to do. My, my, I'm afraid we try to make a couple between green transition and digital transition like it's the same things, but in fact, I think it's a, a bad way to think. Okay. Uh, it's The automatical thing to make the two things uh,
2: between.
0: Thank you, Ilias. Uh, just a quick comment from you, uh, and then we're going to to do
2: the wrap up remarks as, as well, Ilias. Yeah, I mean, on the last point of David. We have eco-design criteria as Commission, we will publish eco-design criteria end of this year on mobile phones, laptops and tablets. And those will are not be only energy consumption, energy efficiency, but also material efficiency. So durability, reparability and all that thing. So we do pay attention and we know that the e-waste is the fastest growing waste category and we need to do something about it. I wanted to talk about the investment a little bit to complement Daniel. It's a private-public, of course, story, but there is one powerful tool that we are not using enough, that is a public procurement. If we could agree that public procurements will be, become, by default, green public procurement, that together with the price, you're also looking on the sustainability metric that will incentivize even further the need for standard that public procurers can trust it would make a big difference because public procurement makes the big statements on the, on the markets and on the jobs, circular economy has the potential for new jobs, high quality jobs. Thank you. So that you answered
0: Hank's question, the role for procurement. Thank you, Hank, for the question. Uh, Christina had asked a question, which uh, we've touched on as well. How can policymakers stimulate more uptake of digital technologies to reduce emissions? Georgina uh, mentioned as well the the considering the limits of digital and allow and encourage other forms of management and networks. We got to some of that as well. Uh, Ahmed uh, asked about how sobriety Fits well the agenda of the green transition. Don't drink on Fridays. I think stay sober. That's our message from your Active. It's, uh, we're in the Brussels bubble. We know how it goes. Thank you for all that. Now let's do our wrap up. Um, 30 seconds each. Your sign bite, your takeaway uh, for today. Let's start with Molly. 30 seconds.
7: Thanks, Brian. So connectivity is vital to creating a sustainable future and meeting Europe's energy and environmental targets. Digitization will be absolutely critical to you know underpin innovations that will enable societies to become more resource and energy efficient. In this, we need to promote investments that keep connectivity able to support sustainability advancements. We need to align um, our measurement and reporting frameworks, understand in a consistent way where we are today and how far we need to go. And as Anne-Marie stated, we need the right people at the table not just to make decisions, but also create the ecosystems we discussed today that will deliver positive impact.
0: Thank you. Ivan, over to you, 30-second wrap-up.
7: Thank
4: you. I think in order to be successful, we need uh, three major things. First one is infrastructure, second is skills, and third is uh, legislative framework which will stimulate uh, private investments into into all the things. it will bring uh, a lot of uh, good uh, benefits. I mean, digital and green transition, like reduction of cost, improvement of uh, uh, our environment, but also it brings new challenges we have, which we have to face, for example, like uh, data ownership, data protection, fight against misinformation, and we have to invest much more into cybersecurity as well. Thank you, Ivan. Um, Amory,
5: Well, Brian, for your children, I I would I would go for hold on to your phone for one more year. Let's take the little concrete steps. Um, And I do think that that is uh, I really welcome the fact that that we do see that you cannot separate the digital from the green transition. It is a green transition and we're so in agreement, but now put it into practice. And that is hard work like standardization. It's hard work. It's nitty gritty work. It's details. It's concrete. It's show me the business case. so I do think we need to start uh, really making uh, making steps in practice, and I do think that we are all um, that in alignment and trying to make it as concrete as possible uh, is the right way forward. And I really welcome uh, all the energy that is uh, apparent at this moment in uh, Europe.
0: Thank you, Emory. and uh, let's go to David. David, thirty seconds.
3: Yes, yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh, I think to guarantee a sustainable digital economy in Europe for the Green Deal, we need three things. Ambitious eco-design standards to impose long product uh, lifetimes coupled with appropriate legal guarantees. Second things, a clear and harmonized mandatory labeling uh, of the sustainability of digital so that consumers can make appropriate choice. The third thing is better market surveillance, perhaps with, uh, via the digital product passports, and a crackdown on premature obsolescence practice. We need, of course, to uh, uh, empowering the consumers, but we need legislation, clear legislation for the European Union, because the European Union uh, make a a notice for all the world, because we are the first market in the world.
0: Thank you, David. Excellent. Uh, Ilyas, over to you. 30 seconds.
2: Yes, most of it has been said. So I will focus on one specific thing we didn't mention. We spend 700 billion on recovery and resilience facilities. The plans that member states send us show that the capacity and understanding of this green digital transition is not there. The green part, the 40 percent of the money they're spending, they are not using smartly the digitalization to green their sectors. Vice versa, the digitalization part and the money they're spending on digitalization, there are not enough indicators to make sure what David just asked for. So if we could intercept before they spend all the money by 2026, to give them quickly some proven cases, and that is all of the panelists on their level of uh, interaction with member states, to make sure that they still still have possibility to spend more and to deliver more to citizens, from this RRF. Okay, thank you so much. And uh, Veronique?
6: Well, I think uh, to enable this, this green and digital transition, we need an enabling legal framework. Uh, legislators are working on that, and uh, we hope that they also improve on the inclusion of SMEs. On the other hand, the facilitating environment to allow SMEs to bring those solutions for the green and digital transition and put it in place in, the, in real life. And then I refer again to the necessary financial uh, means, the skills, the infrastructure, standards, and then the technologies. And uh, I'm happy that Elias also referred to it. I think making uh, awareness even bigger on what is available, what we can start develop further and, and make sure that we make the connections between all the actors is key now in the, in the next uh, year, year and a half.
0: Thank you. Daniel, last word.
1: Yeah, like I started by saying that like in this energy and war situation that uh, ICT must go uh, green uh, and I think that what I'm taking uh, also away today is like, you know, you can, I think it's clear that you can only manage what you measure. We had a debate that also had quite some emotions in there on uh, what uh, what the impact of digital technology really is on, uh, on uh, the environment. You can only manage what you measure and that's why this work in these priority areas is so important going forward. And uh, I think that uh, uh, you know ICT I should go green. But I sense a lot of opportunities to to unleash digital to help with our climate goals. Uh, and I sense also responsibility. Uh, it-, it only works with digital technology is accountable, especially now, also for its own footprint. But I, se- I sense a lot of uh, sense of responsibility on that. And like that, if ICT goes green in this way, I think the society can uh, go along with it.
0: Daniel, Thank you. Uh, Solid discussion. Well done, everyone. Uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, Thanks to Daniel, to Ilyas, uh, David, Ivan, and Marie, uh, Veronique, and Molly for super contributions today. Also, the team here sweltering in the studio uh, with me right now as well, Zoran. Uh, Also, we have Tamara, who's just outside, Uh, Bonja, Agat, and uh, we... uh, I thank all the team, Tamara's tomorrow's here actually right in front of me, and to Giga Europe for uh, their support today as well. Uh, thanks uh, for watching, thanks for all your questions and, and your engagements today, I really appreciate it. If you want to watch it again or to share uh, some of the content or clip the content, it should be available very shortly uh, on uh, the YouTube and the social media. Continue to engage with hashtag uh, Debates as well, I wish you uh, a very warm afternoon here in Brussels. I'm Brian McGuire, good afternoon. <laughs>